welcome to the Blast From Our Past podcast. We are the podcast that brings those wonderful nostalgic films right back into your head. We talk about them, we love them, or we hate them. And we also do some reviews of nostalgic TV shows and do some castings of those shows, those movies, or whatever the fuck we want. So, let's get started. I'm Adam. I'm John. And I'm Ed. Hello, Ed. That's right. We have a special guest with us. This is our father, Ed. We have talked about him on multiple occasions, including our A-Team and Blues Brothers episode and our more recent Star Trek The Next Generation episode as him kind of getting us into those shows. Ed, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I came over from Georgia to take a little break from the Georgia winter and uh, enjoy the L.A. winter. Okay, yes, it's much better out here. You have shown us a lot of different movies and TV shows that we remember as kids growing up. Today, we are doing an episode exactly on that. We are going to review and talk about the movie Billy Jack from 1971, a very low-budget independent film that I definitely only remember in context from you showing us when we were much younger. I was a junior in high school when that movie came out. Yeah, <laughs> let's see. Yes, and we weren't even close to being born. So this is kind of special because it is it is partially a nostalgia episode for us because we remember the movie, but it is more sort of a nostalgia episode about our dad. So I'm, I'm really excited to do this one. Yeah, it's going to be a little fun. And speaking of nostalgic for our dad, we asked him a show that he used to watch as a kid that was nostalgic for him, and he mentioned Bonanza was a show that ran from 1959 to 1973. 14 seasons. That's a pretty long-running TV show. Absolutely. And that's what we are going to do for our TV review. And we've got a very special casting, which will be just me and John. We are going to be doing a lesser-known Western Badasses casting. It's kind of, uh, we're kind of doing something funky, but it's people who are all in like the Western canon, but haven't really had their own movies or been in other movies all that much. So there's no Billy the Kid. There's no Wyatt. Or there's no Doc Holiday, none of those people. It's all like the lesser known Western outlaws or Western badasses from real life history, but they just have great stories and they deserve their own movies. And so we're going to cast who we think might be good for those. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So tell us a little bit about what happened in 1971, John. Well, first I want to say that I, I had a hard time actually picking which year to do for this because typically we do whatever year the movie came out. So Billy Jack did come out in 1971. But it went largely unnoticed. And it wasn't until two years later when Tom Laughlin had to sue Fox, got the redistribution rights, and redistributed it because they put no money into the publicity for the movie. I don't think they put much money into other parts of the movie either. (laughs) But it really didn't hit its stride until 1973 when he was able to re-release it and really kind of get the publicity out there. For the sake of the fact that the movie did come out in 1971, I do want to do just a little snapshot of what was going on in 1971. 1971... 26th Amendment, you can now vote at age 18. Kind of under the belief argument was, if we were old enough to go to war, we're old enough to vote. And I didn't look this up, but I wanted to ask you, Dad, do you remember what was the voting age before they lowered it? 21. It was 21? Okay, so 21 to 18. Pretty big jump. A couple of things that were going on in 1971. That was the year that uh, cigarettes were banned from television. As oh. far as advertising, so cigarettes could no longer pay for advertising. It's a the shame. They make you look so cool, though. <laughs> top song, Billboard uh, year-end top 100 song, is a great song by a band I've actually seen live. It was Joy to the World by Three Dog Night. Oh, nice. Jeremiah was a bullfrog, was a good friend of mine. I never understood a single word he 
French Connection won Best Oscar for that year, along with uh, Gene Hackman for Best Actor. I'm not sure. It was either 1971 or 72, I believe, that freshmen in college were allowed to compete in varsity in sports for the first time. I didn't know you had to be a certain age to compete in varsity. Well, wrestling and Dan Gable, when he was a freshman in college, he couldn't wrestle varsity. Freshmen were not allowed to wrestle varsity. Oh, okay. It was a, the football team. If you've ever seen the movie We Are Marshall? Yeah. yeah. They got that started because their team got killed in a, in a plane crash. Oh, okay. And they st- their team, their new team they started with, almost all freshmen, and they had to basically go to the NCAA and, and beg mm-hmm. to let their freshmen play varsity so they could have a team. Okay. And that basically got it all started. That's why in 1973, when I was in college and, and wrestled, I wrestled varsity as a freshman. If it had been a few years earlier, a couple of years earlier, I wouldn't have been able to. Okay. Without further ado, let's get some sweet Native American kung fu action going with Billy Jack. It's the first time I've ever heard any of my children say, adieu. Yeah. <laughs> seventy-one's Billy Jack, starring Tom Laughlin as our title character, Billy Jack. It was also directed and written by Tom Laughlin. Uh, it also stars Dolores Taylor. Who was his real-life wife. Oh, really? Yes. She was not an actress before this. Okay. Guess that's why they had pretty decent chemistry in the mm-hmm. film. I'll give it that. And that's about it. I don't. There's only one other person that I actually recognized. Yes. And that is the drama teacher. Yes. For me, his name is Howard Hessman, and we've already talked about him. He was the evil doctor from The Flight of the Navigator, who is like the head of NASA. Yes, but I definitely recognize him from uh, pictures and reruns from WKRP in Cincinnati. Oh, okay, yeah. Because he was in that show as well. So he is probably one of the bigger actors that came from this, or that was in this film. Him and uh, the guy who played Stuart Posner. He also had bit parts in like almost every Western show they had out there. Yeah. Bonanza for a couple episodes. He was in Gunsmoke for a couple episodes. He'd all over. His name is Bert Fried. But this movie is full on independent 70s film without question. Mm -hmm. Getting into the movie, we start off where getting some overhead shots of a city. We get a female narrator that's talking to us. We see a sheriff and a deputy and something's wrong with the deputy's daughter. The deputy I also recognized actually. The actor's name is Kenneth Toby, but I specifically remembered him from the movie Airplane. Oh, okay. He's one of the air traffic controllers. That's interesting. I don't think I've ever seen Airplane, but that's funny to think of him as a very comedic person, because in this movie, he is a dick and a half. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that deputy is not cool. So there's something going on with the deputy's daughter. They're, I guess, going to have to go pick her up from the airport. Really, we get the context that the deputy is in the pocket of this guy, Posner. There's this one very powerful man in the city named uh, Mr. Stuart Posner, and he kind of owns about half the town, it seems. Uh, and we also get a little bit of context that Posner's also a bit of a dick in that they're going to go out and they're going to shoot some Mustangs. Beautiful, wild, majestic horses are going to get shot down by this fat white guy. <laughs> now, where did this movie take place? I think it took place in Arizona. Arizona, oh, I believe. Yeah. Okay. Well, I know it was filmed in Arizona, but the only reason I got that was because the sheriff mentioned that he had to go pick the daughter up in Phoenix. Okay. So that was the only, that's really the only kind of way I think you could tell that it was shot in, or that it was, yeah. that it took place in Arizona. You just knew it was kind of out west area. Right. To an extent where there's a lot of Indian territory going on as well. After that context, we get the opening title credits with the song One Tin Soldier playing underneath. Your neighbor, in the 
To me, the movie Billy Jack is synonymous with that song, One Tin Soldier. Mm -hmm. They played at the top and they played at the bottom. A very beautiful song, kind of a liberal hippie message to it, but it's just a a good song. I'm a big fan of that one. I have it on my playlists on iTunes and I play it all the time. I think it was originally written as kind of a protest song. Yeah, makes sense. And then covered by one of the members of the band Coven, which was a sort of a psychedelic rock group Mm -hmm. from the 60s. Well, that time, that era that was just full of protest songs. Right, of course. I mean, with the Vietnam War, music was almost based on protest in that period. Right, Mm -hmm. of course. Uh, So as we're getting through the title credits, we're seeing this group of guys are shepherding some horses into a pen. By the end of it, we're seeing them that they're going to go, they're going to shoot these horses. They've they've wrangled them up, and they want to hand over this gun to this younger guy named Bernard. Who is, uh, Bernard is uh, Posner's son. Yes, and what we see is Bernard doesn't want to shoot a helpless horse, actually. You start off this movie actually kind of feeling for Bernard. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. And that Bernard, he's not a bad guy at first. Right. He's just a misguided young adult who is really just kind of torn on how to act from his dad who is pulling the strings and mm-hmm. being the real jerk. And Bernard is just trying to live up to that legacy but he also doesn't know how, and he's a bit scared. You feel for him at first, absolutely, right. and then and then you don't. <laughs> but before we get to any horse shooting, out comes a guy on a horse, and we find out this is our hero, Billy Jack. They've all wrangled these horses in Indian territory, and the government, and they'd have no power there, and Billy Jack is kind of the, the law of the Indian territory, as he puts it. Mm-hmm. He is an ex-Green Beret, from the Vietnam War. It's his job he has taken on himself to try and protect Native American people in that area and that land. Uh, And then as we find out later, this quote-unquote freedom school that his girlfriend runs. Right before Billy comes out, though, you get like that eerie sound, and they do this multiple times in the film, mm-hmm. where they have like these little chimes or something that's, that's like playing. there's something in the air. Exactly, like everyone stops what they're doing and like looks around. <laughs> they can just some, feel they, Billy. They can is, sense it. Yeah, it's almost like a Indian mystic kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Of, Billy's coming. Watch out. <laughs> you can feel. And you got to kind of talk about the look of Billy Jack as he comes around, because he's. Very much in that Western garb, but that hat. Yeah. He's got a very specific hat, and I think it's called like an Uncle Joe hat or something is what is the type of hat, or that's the slang terms for that kind of hat is. But it's not a cowboy hat. Well, the, the brim is, is straight all the way around. Yeah, it's a It's flat not brim. curved, and the top is a dome top. Right. As opposed to an indentation like you have in a cowboy hat. Right. Mm-hmm. So, But it has a very distinctive look. To me, that's now a Billy Jack hat. Yeah, yeah. it, it, it was Billy, then, too. Yeah, <laughs> it's a Billy Jack hat. But you didn't talk about why are they shooting the horses. Yes, they are hunting the horses so they can sell them for dog food. Dog food. Yeah. To me, it always kind of represented when they slaughtered the buffalo. This was the modern day. There weren't any buffalo left to slaughter. Right. They were doing the horses. So Billy is going to go protect them. And he really, here, he really shows off his badass stuff. We see pretty quickly that he is a crack shot. He's like shooting everybody's rifle handles <laughs> on right. the ground. And, and from the hip, too. Yeah. <laughs> on a horse, from the hip, <laughs> off to the side. You know, he's not looking down the sights. He's just a crack shot from the hip. Like the rifleman. Yep, just like the rifleman. Another great show from back in the day. So they all back down because who the hell's going to mess with Billy when, when he's that awesome. And then we cut to some more narration from this female voice. We get some exposition about Billy Jack. We find out he's a half-breed, that he was a vet of the Vietnam War. And then we cut to... The deputy's daughter is coming home, getting picked up by the sheriff, and she is pissed. 
<laughs> she is not happy that her dad didn't pick her up. I think she's just not happy to be home. Yeah, she's she's very angsty. Very. Yes. I mean, this is definitely a movie of the times and showing the protest of you know Vietnam War and that kind of stuff. Uh, almost flower power kind of thing to an extent as well. We find out she slept around a little bit and she is pregnant and her dad is not happy about that because he's also a racist asshole and isn't sure what race the baby might be. She has a really funny line. Where's the father? Where's the father? That's funny. I don't even know who the father is. What's that supposed to mean? It means, concerned father, that I was passed around by so many of those phony Maharishi types who kept telling me that love is beautiful and all that bullshit. In other words, concerned father, I got bawled by so many guys, I don't know if the father's gonna be white, Indian, Mexican, or black. I really like that line. Yes. Because it really kind of sets up who she is as an angsty teen. And the father beats the living crap out of her. Well, we see her hit him, yeah, hit her once, hit and her then once. the next time we see her... After she tells him that she's pregnant, she doesn't know who the father is, basically, he slaps her, and I want to call out that the slap sound that they use for the sound effect uh-huh. might be the worst sounding <laughs> punch or whatever that I've ever heard in a movie. It should have been a good slap sound right instead it was like a like it was it was a thud thunk it was more of a thunk yeah it was, it was thunk. Like, like it was the sound you would use if somebody was getting punched in the stomach yeah or something like that <laughs> so the sound designer i want to have a word with uh <laughs> i didn't look him up to see what else he did but hopefully not too much else after this movie. actually hell it's probably tom laughlin he did everything else for this movie it's probably possible. was him too so we cut to billy finds the girl she's been pretty much Beaten up a little bit by her dad, we can assume. She's got a big black eye, you can tell. Big black eye. He takes her to the hospital. The sheriff comes and he wants to... Basically, they want to hide her at the school, which is where all these forgotten youth of the generation are hiding out in this area. They're not really the forgotten youth, but they're like these... They're the hippies. You know, this town is just a conservative town and they don't know how to let go of their guns and enjoy life. It's kind of a school for runaways. Yeah. Is really what it's in that don't fit in anywhere else because the whole thing with the school is everybody fits in no matter how who they are, what they are. Yeah, very progressive type of school, very hippie liberal school. It's on the Indian reservation, and Billy like helps protect it, and it's run by his girlfriend. We cut to the school. Well, we don't, their relationship is very ambiguous yeah. for most of the movie. Yeah, and that's kind of good. You know that they care for each other, right? But it's not explicit like a passionate romantic love it's just like they have a love and respect for each other that a lot of other people don't there's a little bit of a subtle love story going on through it but not so much that i feel like it detracts from the rest of what is going on yeah well it kind of adds to it in the fact that you always know i mean billy's always protecting the kids in the school but he's always protecting gene yeah yeah always yeah so we cut to the school we see the hippie school for any listener out there fun drinking game for for this movie (laughs) every time i say hippie take a drink and see if you can be alive at the end of this (laughs) at the end of this conversation so we see a scene where they're doing a psychodrama role-playing and uh, getting barbara involved who's the the daughter it's a fun scene where they kind of like are playing off of her pregnancy and they're just doing kind of a lot of um, improv stuff yeah. around it. And they have this black Jesus come up as he's the baby coming out of her, basically, and right. he's the new savior. It's just a an improv kind of thing that they do. And it's just kind of funny and it works well. We then are just seeing more of the school and 
they're just kind of showing these kids doing different stuff. And we get a scene of this young girl playing a song on her guitar. And it's definitely a protest song. And they play the entire damn song. Just like in the opening title credits where they played the entire One Tin Soldier, that scene took a long time. Here, they let this 13, 14 year old girl, I can't remember, maybe 12, play her song and her song takes forever. <laughs> it's, just, it's a long song. Some of the scenes at the school do seem to take a long time. Like yes. I think they lingered too much on some of the stuff. But that little girl, the character's name is Carol, that is Tom Laughlin Dolores Taylor's daughter. Oh, okay. Uh, TC. She goes by TC. I think and her I, name is Tree. And I bet she wanted to be a singer in real life. And they're like, well, we'll write a movie and then we'll let you sing an entire song. Just so I think it works yeah. with the theme of the movie. Uh, I definitely think it was not necessary to do the whole song. Once you got the idea of what the song was about, yes. you could have... You can fade away from it and move on to something else. So the the editing in this movie, a little slow paced for me. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Well, it's, it was very, put, to me, it was push and pull. Mm. There's moments that it works really well and it flows fine and the story works fine. There are times when they, ling- to me, they lingered too long on certain scenes where it's like, okay, I got the idea. I didn't need to see the yeah. whole thing play out. And I, I, part of me wonders if they just did that for time. Because otherwise, the, the movie ran at about a, uh, an hour and 53 minutes, I think. Yeah. And if they, it, I forgot you, it was that long. I know. You could have cut, yeah. cut it down to 90 minutes and it'd be fine. Easily. When I, when I popped it in, because I have the DVD. DVD and I looked at the back like, okay, this is going to be like 86 minutes. Holy crap, it's almost two hours. <laughs> like, I forgot because like, yeah, well, I mean, what I remember is stuff that, yeah, moves pretty quick and you just remember like specific scenes are going through and then rewatching it just like, oh man, that scene drags on or just like that scene. And it's mostly, and you're right, it's mostly scenes at the school where they just kind of let stuff play through a lot longer, like those songs or like the little skits that they do and that kind yeah. of stuff. They, you see them all play fully through, even though you get the gist pretty early. Yeah. We got a quick little scene of meeting this kid, Martin, who is asking Billy about a snake ceremony. We're not really sure what he's talking about, and he wants to help Billy in his ritual. Just kind of sets us up for what is this snake ceremony, and we'll probably run into that a little bit later. Oh, Martin is, an, is a Native American. He's an Indian kid. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, at the school, you get all nationalities, all races. But the whole story is basically about prejudice against Native Americans, yeah. the Indians. That's really the premises of the movie. I'll kind of give you a little backstory because I did. I watched, uh, believe it or not, there was an E! True Hollywood Story episode about Billy Jack. Oh, wow. I, got, I watched it before we did this. Dolores Taylor was half Swedish, half Native American. She introduced Tom Laughlin when they met to the plight of Native Americans in, I forget what area they met or where they were. I think it was South Dakota. Because he jumped around. Tom Laughlin, who was kind of a athlete in high school, and even though he was actually very smart, he kind of jumped around from college to college when he went to college. And he met her, I believe, in South Dakota. And she was living near one of the reservations, and she took an interest in... Native American, I don't want to say politics, but just sort of Native, like kind of the plight of Native Americans mm-hmm. is what they put it in the show. Um, and she introduced him to that. And he actually started writing the story of the character of Billy Jack about 15 years before they made the movie. Oh, wow. So he'd had the character going on. And and this is not actually the first movie in which Billy Jack appeared. I saw that. I'd never even heard of that other one until I looked it up on IMDb. Yeah. This is the second of four. Yeah, the second of four. The very first one was one called The Born Losers. 
And that was where the character of Billy Jack was introduced. Was he the lead in that movie? He was the lead in that movie. He played Billy Jack. It was, the premise was like Billy Jack versus a motorcycle gang in a small town. I don't think he directed that one. I didn't look it up. But the money that he made from The Born Losers, he poured into making the Billy Jack movie he really wanted to make. Mm-hmm. Which is what this is what came out of it. And then the other one, he made a couple... Actually, I think there were three more. Return of Billy Jack and Billy Jack Goes to Washington. There, there's the trial of Billy Jack. The trial the of next Billy one. Jack. Oh, the trial. trial came back, and then the Return of Billy Jack came out in like 86. Six. Six, yeah. So there was actually three, but the Return of Billy Jack, I think... So this one was 71. <clears throat> trial of Billy Jack was 74. Billy Jack Goes to Washington was 77. And then uh, it took like another nine years for the return of Billy Jack. So right. yeah, they, that one was kind of like... It was those three, this Billy Jack, the trial, and then Washington... And then uh, those are kind of like, I think, the main trilogy. And then Return of Billy Jack was well, well was later. Later, yeah. Small little scene here that I thought was funny. We get another kid. They're kind of, Billy's about to leave, I think. You get this little scene of this one kid singing a song about Billy. Right. As he's about to leave. Like, they're kind of like up in their dorm or something. And the girl is singing about Billy and when will Billy love me? When will Billy love me? When will Billy love me? But I'm just like, oh my god, you horny little hippie girl! Like <laughs> Billy, Billy doesn't want you. <laughs> I just, I don't know, like where that one came from or why they needed that song. To me, it played twofold. You know, maybe it's it's a unrequited love, a teenage girl who sees a guy she really likes, and, and that's not really anything we've never heard before. That's mm-hmm. pretty common. But at the same time, what they're showing is as she's singing, they're showing through the window Billy talking to Jean. Yeah. And it and to me it's almost as if she's singing the song as Gene or for Gene. Okay. It's the love they're observing between Gene and Billy that it's always been there but it's never been discussed. It's just yeah. sort of it's just there. That's probably exactly what it was meant for. I read it as just a horny little girl who wanted <laughs> Billy. <laughs> that was my bad. <laughs> I think your interpretation is probably more accurate. <laughs> But yeah, so Billy's talking to Gene, and Gene is very worried about the kids going into town the next day. Because the town, they just don't get them. They're from a d- totally different world. So the kids go into town, and here we see Bernard Posner, the kid who wouldn't shoot the horse, but he has to feel he's got to be tough. And kind of live up to his father's reputation, I guess. He's a cocky bastard. He's just like, yeah, that typical spoiled Brat kid little in Little rich town. kid is what we call him. Yeah, little Spoiled rich kid. Spoiled little rich kid. Definitely. He seemed like the kind of kid, the only reason he was cool is because of who his father was. Like, yes. if his father was not who he was, no one would associate with him. Yeah. We get a funny scene of him making a bet with his friends that he can pick up one of the girls from the school, uh, and he goes to talk to one of them. She rejects him with a fantastic line. My name is Bernard Posner. Oh, really? Really. Is that supposed to mean something? Around these parts, you hear the name Posner quite a bit. That's very interesting. You know, you hear my name quite a bit. Not just around here, either. No fooling. What's your name? Up. Up. (laughs) That's an odd name. What's your last name? Yours. Up yours. That's a funny-ass scene. I love that. Oh, my gosh. I love that scene. And just the way she delivers it, too. Yeah. (laughs) With that smirky smile on her face. And she's like, up yours. That was a great line. Some of the other kids, they go into an ice cream shop. And here we kind of have a a really pretty intense scene coming up of 
seeing the racism and the prejudice against the Native Americans in the area and just the kids in school, but specifically the Native Americans. So they go into the shop. Bernard ends up following. What ends up happening is he ends up dumping flour on to the, these three non-white kids because the shop owner didn't want to serve them, probably because partly of just prejudice from against Native Americans, but also partly because he doesn't like school and those kids and just their mentality. Right. So Bernard comes in and he's trying to be all he's just trying to be an asshole he's trying to make it seem like he's being diplomatic but then he takes a thing of flour exactly he pours flour on it over the kids and then says hey they're all white now because he's dumped this white flour on them so we can serve them and he's thinks he's being tough and annoying and you just you just you hope someone will come kick his ass the great thing about the end of that scene is as he's finishing up his his little dubious speech or whatever it is he's doing the camera pans over and it frames him just to the left of center where you think he would be center but there's a window to the Mm -hmm. right you know something's gonna happen but it's great when it finally does like he does it and then you just see billy jack's jeep come in and park right in the middle of that window frame yeah and you're like okay now something's gonna happen yes something that we were hoping for and so billy comes in he sees the flower dumped on the kids he has Probably my favorite line in the movie. (laughs) When Gene and the kids at the school tell me that I'm supposed to control my violent temper and be passive and nonviolent like they are, I try, I really try. So when I see this girl of such a beautiful spirit, so degraded, and when I see this boy, I love Oh, God. This big ape here. And this little girl, who is so special to us that we call her God's little gift of sunshine. And I think of the number of years she's going to have to carry in her memory the savagery of this idiotic moment of yours. I just go bizarre. And he just he's fucking kicking everybody and fucking punching people and he's he throws a fucking person through a window and then it is the most obvious mannequin doll <laughs> that that goes flying through the window. It is hilarious, but Billy is just he's going he's going ape shit and he's beating up Bernard and all of his friends. And it, yeah, it's just awesome. It, you, you're glad. I, I I like that scene a lot. Yeah, it's one of those things where you're angry and you want someone to do something. And what I actually like about it is he comes in and he looks around and he just kind of like puts his hand to his head, kind of like I can't believe I have to do this now. Yeah. I can't believe you're gonna make me do this. Mm-hmm. You know, you're gonna be a dick and you're gonna make me have to beat the crap out of you. You can tell like the kids are like, don't do it because they know what will happen. And then after he finally beats up Bernard and the goonies that he has yeah. with him. He has his friend Dinosaur. Dinosaur. <laughs> who's, who's a big guy. Big guy, but he's just the dumbest bricks friend. It's funny, like before he heads outside and you got, you get that little bit of the, the mysterious sort of trill chime sound when he can tell someone's, you, you know, cuts to someone messing with his car, pulling the line out. He does something that until you see the next scene doesn't make any sense. He sits down and he takes off his shoes. Like why? And you're yeah. like, what? What are you doing? <laughs> like he start, he just the kids are like, don't go out there. And he sits down. And he just starts. He takes off his boots and his socks. And you're like, what in the world are you doing? <laughs> it makes no sense. And then he walks out there and and uh, pretty much people from the town, I guess, saw what happened and and all these angry racist white guys from the town end up circling Billy Jack in this little park. Well, as soon as Billy Jack walks in, Bernard tells one of the guys to go get his father. Yeah. So that's what's happening. So his father's goons are coming to go beat up Billy Jack, uh, and they. 
circle around him and Posner comes out and he confronts him basically in the middle of the circle. Here we get another one of Billy's most badass lines because he's not taking any shit from Posner. He knows Posner and he doesn't he doesn't give a crap about how powerful this guy is in town. And so he tells him to his face. You know what I think I'm going to do then? Just for the hell of it. I'm going to take this right foot and I'm going to whop you on that side of your face. And you want to know something? There's not a damn thing you're going to be able to do about it. It's just a cut, and Billy's leg whirls around and clocks him. And it's just, <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> the fight choreographer was a Hapkido master by a guy named Bong Su Han. And Tom Laughlin actually had no real training up until this movie. And then he studied, probably studied with uh, Bong Su Han, but he studied Hapkido specifically. Uh, Bong Su Han was also his body double in a lot of the fight scenes. So, so I'm probably, I'm yeah. assuming that, because it's a very beautifully executed i think was it called an outside crescent kick the one where you take the one foot and go to the opposite side and they, they cut to this high angle, high angle and with that hat you couldn't tell yeah. who it is but it like it's a really pretty kick like yeah. he does it very well yeah so that's probably not ton laughlin in that part of the fight scene this also movie is credited in a lot of circles with kind of not necessarily being the start but one of the films that started the kung fu craze in the 70s well that's one of the things i was going to say looking at it i know i lived right that this was way before bruce lee right you know and that be, when that became big that of course that started a craze right this is one of if it's the first i don't know but it's the first one i remember where there was some kind of a karate kung fu mm-hmm. kick-ass very calm billy jack was one of the things about his character is he kicks ass Whenever he wants to, right. but he is the calmest person on earth. Yeah, <laughs> right. just before he does it. Yeah. Right. I mean, he yeah. he just calms himself. Then he explodes. Yes. Right. He's got he's got a rage inside of him, and he he uses all of his power to just keep himself calm. Right. Until he doesn't want to be calm anymore, and then he lets it go. <laughs> So Billy is pretty much beating up everybody until one of them lands a stick shot on Billy's head. Then Billy gets beaten up pretty bad. And if anyone remembers any scene from this movie, it is probably this one. Especially the right before when he the whole uh, confrontation scene with Posner when he kicks him in the face. I, that's as far as I know, as far as I can tell, everyone who I know who <clears throat> remembers this film remembers that scene. Yeah. yeah. And, and and I don't remember exactly the words, but he makes some kind of a reference before he starts to fight with all these people. He knows he's going to get his ass kicked, but he's going to take down as many as he possibly can. That's not how he worded it, but I just yeah. remember he just implied he's going to hurt some people. Yeah, right. and he, But he knows. He right. knows he's going to get his ass kicked eventually, which is exactly what happened. He's not ignorant, Billy Jack. He knows all of his shit, and he's confident, but he's not overconfident, which is nice. Well, I mean, he was surrounded by yeah. probably 15 people that you could see yeah but like in a lot of movies nowadays especially you're gonna get that one person who's gonna kick everybody's ass even if that's not really feasible like this is a little bit more realistic realistic now granted it's still not realistic in that in the fight scenes everyone comes at billy jack one at a time like it's just like all right i'll fight you and then okay i'm gonna go over and you'll fight you it's like no we need 15 against one it's 15 against one and you probably won't even get one person down because they're all gonna jump on you at the same time but it's a little bit better. But that's that. eventually how they get him, by teaming yeah. up on him. Yes. Right, yeah. All right, we cut to the Native American kid, Martin, who is riding a horse. Cool. And he hurts himself. Cool. And that's <laughs> about it. Almost the entirety of Martin, I don't love. But he he plays an integral part later. Hey, he makes some mistakes in the, in the movie, and I just saw him as a hungry kid who's trying to prove himself. Yeah, that's that's about right. He's a very sweet, gentle kid. Yeah. Maybe he is the, the innocence, like the embodiment of... 
the innocence of that school and like the personification of all of those people and that innocence of that era, that's Martin here. Yeah. We see a scene of the deputy suspects that his daughter is at the school. They take a group and Posner to go search it. We see the hippies singing a protest song. Pretty, They're pretty much protesting when they get there. Well, the sheriff comes in and is like, I have a search warrant, but it's not enforceable. Yeah. So you don't have to let us do it. But Gene is like, no, we're going to let them do it. Yes. They're going to make them feel like big men. Exactly. And they're going to give it to the, the hippies. are going to give it to the man by singing <laughs> the protest song while they're searching their school. We're a rainbow. Uh, no, the sheriff we like a lot. Like he, the sheriff is a good guy. Yes, yeah. he is a straight up good person. He's one of those ones where he's definitely a good guy stuck in an unenviable position. Yeah, as a sheriff, he's an elected official in a town with someone who is powerful enough to control the election. Mm-hmm. You feel for him because he he wants to do the right thing at all times. We see that Billy took Posner's daughter to this hideout but we just find out that she's not at the school so they're searching for her, but she's not there luckily and then we get to the school is kind of like on trial the city council has gotten together they want to put a restraining order pretty much on the school and the kids at the school from coming back to the town because of the ruckus that they made uh, the other day which actually was the ruckus that bernard caused right that was kind of another scene that i think lasted a little too long and i actually got the sense that some of this stuff might have been sort of improv yeah i agree part of it honestly looked like you were sitting on a real council meeting just the way that everyone was talking but to me the the scene lasted longer than it needed to basically the bunch of conservatives versus the liberal hippies having a discussion about what the school should do Uh, and at the end of it the people of the school invite the city council to come over to the school and two of them accept and they're like all right yeah we'll check out what you've got going on right and then we'll decide you know from there what's up Um, but but they also they did enact the restraining order that only six people from the school can go to the town and only from certain hours on a saturday yeah like one day a week for two hours and only six people at a time so we cut to the school and a couple of the council members this man and female who seem to be the two most vocally against uh, having the school kids come over and we get a, another improv skit scene. And so they show us funny skit of where they put each other into different shoes. Basically, they have the city council people play kids and the, the drama teacher and one of the students plays like the adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just reversed roles. Yes. Yeah. And it was actually, I remember that scene pretty fondly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was fun. Another one that they probably could have cut a little bit shorter than it needed to be. But to me, that was more prudent of a scene than most of the city council scene they could have just gotten to the point with the city council scene and then shown that one in its entirety and to me it would have been a little bit more effective than how long the city council scene took yeah but summarize the city council people really enjoyed their time there they want people from the school to come down and show them what they're doing and yeah they were impressed yeah they were impressed with what they got so so we then cut to Barbara and Jean go to the snake ceremony and Billy Jack is going to have his snake ceremony to become blood brother with the snake so Billy's kind of dressed up in ceremonial garb. Basically, he's in like a, a snake pit. He's in like a sand pit where there's a snake in the center. It's a rattlesnake and he dances around it and he gets struck multiple times. They kind of give him some herbs and pretty much as long as he doesn't die, he, he will be good. Now, and I remember seeing somewhere and it wasn't what I just recently read, but um, I, I still remember this. So I remember I saw it somewhere. That scene, I believe, largely was shot. Most of the close-up scenes, there was a piece of plexiglass in between mm-hmm. the dancer and the snake. But the scenes where the snake struck, he actually got struck. They defanged the snake. 
mm-hmm. and the snake was actually hitting him in the foot. I don't know if it was him or a stunt double who was getting hit, but someone was actually getting struck by a snake. It was just defanged and desacked, so it wasn't there was no venom. But it, I'm sure it still hurt. Yeah. Those things hit pretty hard. Yeah. Billy basically passes out, and then he wakes up gloriously in the sunrise, and he then speaks of his vision to the rest of the uh, Indian people. He's kind of like channeling an elder or something, like a, or a great spirit. But here we also see that Bernard is kind of watching them. He's got Billy Jack in his scopes, and a pretty intimidating shot. You see just like the, the crosshairs right. shot of Billy Jack, like, okay, you think Bernard could snipe him down while he's doing this ceremony but he doesn't he's too afraid to do it but here we kind of get inklings that bernard has already been a bad kid and now he's taking steps to he's gonna be he's gonna do something bad and you can tell like it's almost again he's not a good person no but he, but but you you can almost tell where he's coming from because he almost seems like someone who's been bullied by his father yeah his whole life to be a certain way and he's not you think if he just they could have like taken him out to the school when he was younger he could have been a great kid yeah or something and if he just got him away from his dad he keeps getting into his own head and pushing himself further and further and further down that rabbit hole of i've got to prove myself to do this exactly. so and this is why we brought you on our podcast dad because you ruined our lives just like <laughs> just like mr poster <laughs> Kidding, kidding. (laughs) It's my job. Yeah. (laughs) You did it well. Yeah. Uh, One thing I have to say, every single helicopter shot was so fucking shaky in this movie (laughs) that it it almost made me puke. (laughs) So crazy. Especially at the beginning when they were doing helicopter shots with the wild Mustangs. I did notice, I was like, wow, that looks like a, looks like they were on the copter with a handheld camera. Yeah. And no, uh, no, there's no gimbal. No gimbal or anything. I I don't, I imagine gimbals were around in the 70s. Something, because there were, there were definitely movies that had helicopter shots that weren't that shaky. But this is as low budget of a low budget movie as you can get that got as popular as it did, I think. Mm-hmm. So I don't blame them. But just looking at it now, I'm just like, oh my God, it's so so shaky. One thing I was wanted to mention about John earlier, John mentioned it got re-released. Back then, now this was before DVDs, before cassette tapes, right. mm-hmm. before any of that. And movies didn't come out on TV. There was no satellite tv no cable tv a movie would come out in the theater and and do its run however long it would run then it would go away then it might come back it might be six months later might be a year later Mm -hmm. this is very very common a movie would come back again on the theaters again that's how we saw reruns whenever they decided to bring a movie back to the theater and a lot of movies that i saw i never saw the first time that around because they didn't look too good to me then they'd go away and i'd hear people talk about oh this is good or this is good okay next time it came out I saw several your mother told me about. I didn't see the first time. She said, oh, and I think you'd probably like this one. Okay, I go see it the second time around. Huh. Okay. We cut to a scene of kids from the school are in the street. They're doing a little street theater. I'm not going to go beat for beat on the street theater. It's just yeah. a funny, cute little scene of like a robbery scene that involves the sheriff gets involved. Some some people uh, in a school are all kind of doing like an improv kind of scene. You think it's improv, but uh, it's just, it's cute. It's fun. So I want to ask you about this. You get the impression, and I got the impression at the beginning that the sheriff didn't know it was a play. Correct. Yeah. But all these people are standing around. Yeah. Yeah. They're all watching. They're all watching. So... Do you think that's what it was intended was to be? Was that the sheriff didn't know and then he got wrapped up into what was going on? Or do you think he knew the whole time? When I first saw it, or like the first few times I saw it, I thought that the sheriff didn't know and he was kind of getting duped. But when I rewatched it now, I think 
he knew exactly what was happening, or maybe even he was had talked to it? was in on it with Gene, but maybe not the other two improvers. Okay, and so I think maybe him and Gene did something to put him into it, and so I think he was probably supposed like she she set him up into it. I think. Well, is she and she seems like the kind of smart person who would tell the sheriff, "Hey, by the way, we're going to be doing this in town." Yeah, yeah. We haven't talked about Gene too much but she is a very respectable very calm she is the calming force for billy jack so and uh, i would say probably his moral center yes absolutely very much a pacifist exactly yeah that's one thing we find we find out billy jack is he's got a rage he enjoys beating up people i think to an extent well to an extent okay and gene is just a 100 percent pacifist but the two of them together like it calms him down and she is really yeah his moral compass yeah absolutely meanwhile uh, while this skit is kind of happening or we see bernard takes this very hollywood looking kind of girl uh who we saw glimpses of here and here and there at the school um he takes her into his car takes her out because he's trying to trying to get with one of the girls from the school here we really start to see Bernard going off the deep end where he, at knife point, basically makes her disrobe. He cuts her bra off, and luckily, Billy and Jean come in to stop him. We get a funny line in this very serious moment. We get a funny line of the girl's going to go leave his car. She's been disbraud at this time and no shirt. She tells Billy, get your blouse and get out of here. Will you look? Probably. Go on, get your blast. <laughs> <laughs> so she heads off. It just, uh, yeah, funny stuff. Like Billy is for someone who is like a green beret, who's badass, who's you know, he is a very relatable, fun character. Like for for the majority of them, you know, I, I feel like I would probably make those jokes too, and then I could beat up a whole circle of people if I wanted to. <laughs> Maybe not. That is one of my favorite movie characters mm-hmm. yeah. of all time is yeah. Billy Jack. It's a great character. Now with the girl safely put away, Billy wants to reprimand Bernard for being the asshole that he is. And so he's trying to figure out how to do it. Gene, the wonderful pacifist, recommends... What do you suggest I do? Teach him a lesson, but without really hurting him. How? Why don't you drive his car into the lake? Because the lake is right in front of him. That's where, right, that's where the they're at. At the lake, so. And he's got this sweet, like, Corvette. Early 70s, late 60s. Probably, yeah, 70 or probably a 1969 or 70 yeah. Corvette. So Billy is going to intimidate Bernard to go into the lake. And he's basically telling them he's going to count to three. Well, he gives him, he wants to beat him up, but Gene doesn't want him to. So, so he gives him a choice. He said, your choice is get a dislocated elbow or drive your car into the lake. She has a little badass side to her <laughs> in this movie. Yeah. It, it yes. comes out more later than it does earlier, but she has a little, that yeah. she, she's a little embarrassed about, but it's there. It's there, yes. And so Billy is giving him the option. He's going to count to three for him to drive his own car into the lake, or he's going to dislocate his elbow. And so he counts and he goes, one. Two, and then he yells, one, and he doesn't even say three, and Bernard drives his car into the lake, which is, I think, hilarious. Yeah, it's a great scene. And something else that tells you definitely with the sign of the times, when she suggests that he he's driving to the lake, he, he goes, are you kidding me? This is a $6,000 Corvette. Then, and my wife looked at me when we were watching this, we're like, $6,000? She goes, go buy one yeah. right now. No, no line made me angrier <laughs> in this movie than a $6,000 new car. Yeah, new vet. My first brand new car cost $2,750. I remember exactly. All right, we then cut to Barbara, who's hanging out with Martin. 
they're hanging around these horses and it's obvious that she likes him and just kind of get some of that relationship between the two of them well and, and you definitely get a background of her experiences because the first line in that scene is how come you never tried to lay me it's a very 70s term yeah but, and then he goes through and says well because i want you know if, if that's something that it wants to happen i want you to like me for who i am and and i want to get to know you first not just just to have a physical relationship yes. It was a very progressive thing to say for a teenage boy. Yeah. Even nowadays, it's progressive to say for a teenage boy. We see here, Jean says she wants to go off for a swim, so she's going to go do that. Here we get a very disturbing scene. I don't know how else to, to put it. Bernard is kind of there just spying on the kids in the school or whatnot. He sees Jean swimming at a, at a similar time. Also, Barbara falls off of her horse that she was getting on to try and get us playing on a horse. And Barbara, who's pregnant, falls off her horse. Very scary scene on that own own right. But at the same time, now we have Bernard, who is really gone off the deep end with just what the fuck is going on in his head to where he saw Jean swimming nude in a lake and he's going after her and he's now got her tied up and... He puts a gun to her head and he rapes her. This is where... There's no sugarcoating that scene at all. There's no saving Bernard anymore. This is awful. Where you first saw Bernard could have been a savable character at the very beginning. Here he is full-blown evil and you don't want anything else other than you want this guy fucking dead. Like that's what I saw immediately once uh, he raped Gene. Yeah. So one of the students finds Gene and Bernard. Bernard and his friend Dinosaur run off and... Jean doesn't want to tell Billy. Here, she knows him so well that if she tells Billy, she knows Billy is going to kill Bernard, kill anyone he has to. Right. And she doesn't want to do that because it would then mean that they would tear, pretty much tear down the school and everything that she has been working towards would come to an end. Well, and Billy would go to jail. Yeah. Or worse. He would get, die. He would get killed. Yes. See, one of the things that you haven't talked about, Billy was the protector of that school. Without Billy, there would be no school. The, the townspeople would have gotten rid of it years ago. Everybody, that whole town, you can tell from the very beginning of the movie, is petrified of Billy. Yeah, They're yeah. scared to death of him. All of them. That's one thing the school has going for it, is Billy. And that's Jean understands, and she just, she's a realist. She knows. Without Billy, the school is gone. And that's kind of a lot of what the whole thing is based on. We then cut to the hospital where Barbara was taken. Billy can tell that there's something between the student who found Jean and, and Jean herself. Like they're just, they're not, Jean's not being herself. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. We also find out that Barbara lost her, lost the baby from falling off the horse. Little set of scenes there that are very depressing. And you're kind of at the low, low point right now. The school puts on a show. They're doing the show that the city council people wanted like them to, to put on and have the whole town people come over and kind of see what's going on. But no one shows because Posner and them intimidated the town to do it. And they're going to go in and they want to go burn down the school. So we see right. it's very, it's at night, Posner and like his gang coming up. But luckily the sheriff is there who stops them. And, you know, he's got a good line of saying like, Don't get out of your cars, boys. I don't even want to know who any of you are. Now the only trouble we're going to have here tonight is you trying to get past me turn around and leave and he's got his gun and shoot him away and he's not shooting at him but he's just yeah. kind of scare him off try to scare him off he's finally taking a stand probably the best way he knows how which just yeah you really you really respect the sheriff for sure sneakily martin and cindy who's who's one of the students i think she is the the one who who found gene they get kidnapped 
by Posner and that group of people because they can't go in through the way that they wanted to. So they go around a back way and they kidnap Martin and Cindy. So the deputy has Martin captive and Barbara agrees to go back and deputy's beating the crap out of Martin. Luckily, Cindy, who's the other student that was with them, steals the gun, helps Martin escape. So Martin is now in a car, but Bernard follows him with his sweet $6,000 vet. And so Billy shows up not long after Martin left. And there's this whole standoff scene where the deputy's got a gun pointed at Cindy. Billy's got his gun pointed at the deputy. And it's just badass. Now you drop that gun or I'll shoot her. I'm not going to ask you again. You won't have to. What? I said shoot her. You'd kill her just like that, huh? You'll kill her. And then I'll kill you. Just like that. We then cut back to Bernard, who is chasing Martin. There's a mini shoot-off, which, Martin is, which is good, because Martin's a pacifist, and he had a gun that he took with him. And he well, kinda, there, there was a gun in the truck. A gun in the truck, and he shoots back at Bernard. We cut and find out that... The scene you have is actually the sheriff and a couple of other people are talking to those random guy mm-hmm. who says, No, I heard this car pull out, this vet pull out. Oh, yeah. Then there's the scene of a girl... I don't know that it's Barbara, but I can't tell because all the long-haired girls look the same. I'm pretty sure Barbara's the one who finds Martin. And then you find him, but there's no reaction, which I actually like. They show her, she sees the crutch in the water because he'd hurt his foot, and then it shows him, but then then it just cuts to the next scene, which I think is the sheriff telling Posner, you have... 24 hours to bring him in or I'm going after him. Yeah, about of telling Bernard to bring Bernard in. Here we get Cindy, who is the, the one who had the gun to her head from the deputy and she's mm-hmm. she was also the one who saw Jean. She tells Billy about Bernard raping Jean well, as well. No, she doesn't. No. No, she doesn't tell him, but she tells him. I mean, it's there. I mean, right. he guesses it. He guesses it. I know, right. yeah, she, she doesn't say it, but she basically says it. Uh, and then Billy, yeah, Billy confronts Gene about it and Billy is obviously fucking pissed and he's gonna go into town uh, and he does and we see he finds Bernard who is apparently having sex with a 13 year old yeah they make the leaps for Bernard like every fucking step it's like okay I am just a scared kid to okay I am now having a gun and I might shoot him but I'm not going to to okay now I'm fucking kidnapping and raping someone and I'm now killing someone okay and now I'm also a pedophile and like holy fuck they just make every leap with this guy where you're just like you need to fucking die <laughs> like this Bernard needs to fucking die and we get that like he kind of comes in and it's it. It's that calm before the storm. He comes yeah. in. He sees He sees what's going on. And he just very quietly goes, "How old are you?" She's like thirteen. Get out. And she runs out. And he tries. To, I don't know what he tries to say. But he then he pulls a he pulls a revolver, and he just it takes him a minute. He he can't quite pull the trigger. And I think you can tell like Billy waits for him to pull the trigger before he does anything because smartly yeah. if he just goes and kills him that's one thing but if it's in self-defense yeah he can justify it but he does and actually he gets shot yeah 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 after he gets shot yeah he does this judo chop straight to bernard's throat mm-hmm. and bernard's gone like that yeah. that's boom just collapses his throat and bernard's finally gone it wasn't as satisfying a death as i, I wanted agree. it to be i agree i wanted him fucking tortured <laughs> <laughs> i wish it had been not necessarily more violent, but I wish it had been a more satisfying hit of some kind. Yeah. Than just a straight throat chop. But, I mean, it was clean and efficient. Yeah. I guess if that's what you're going for. So, Billy then comes back and gets Barbara. And the 
deputy. So Billy's now in a, in a shootout, basically. He, he gets Barbara. He takes her. I can't remember where they're at. They're at some. Well, they, they, they go to some church. Well, they're, they're still at the school. Oh, they're still at the school. They're still at the school. Yes. He finds her, and what tips him off is the deputy is walking around, and he surprises the three girls in the room, and they scream, and the deputy kind of hears them. And so he, Billy takes Barbara around, and they're trying to they're trying to get away because everyone else is on site. The deputies are on site there. Yeah. They now have yeah, a federal yeah, yeah. warrant to find Barbara and all this stuff. Instead of trying to arrest them, they come out of the door, and the deputy is in another building with his revolver trying to shoot Yes. Start shooting at him. And Billy shoots back and shoots him square in the head in a little dot of red paint. Uh, <laughs> they didn't they didn't put like a squib or anything. It was just like a all right, here's a here's red paint in the center of your forehead. No, but it's it's a I, I like the scene. It's a fun scene cuz the deputy is shooting at him and and you know, shooting wildly and probably more shots than that revolver actually had. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then as soon as he runs out Billy stands up, takes aim, one shot straight to the forehead. Yeah. And so that was another kind of, yeah. another one of the badass Billy Jack moments. Definitely. Um, but now. Well, th- that just kind of, to me, I remember watching the movie, all of Billy Jack's fights where he was just defending himself or somebody else. Right. When he killed Bernard, that's why it happened so quickly. He was trying to kill him. Yeah. He wasn't trying, it was not defense. He wasn't trying to make him suffer. He was trying to kill him. And when he shot somebody to kill him, he shot to kill him. That was it. Uh, but now that he killed a deputy, there's a warrant out for Billy's arrest. And so they pretty much have, he went, he goes to this church, the townspeople and, and the, all of the National Guard pretty much and, and police have him cornered in this church. Billy's really holding his own. I think uh, Barbara's still with him at this point, helping him reloading and stuff like that. And he's just having, he's having a badass shootout in this, in this church kind of thing. Again, the sound design, they have three different ricochet and gunshot sounds and it's the same <laughs> ones over and over again. It's like... Like over and over again for every fucking ricochet shot that they've got. Uh, but other than that, though, I mean, the scene is a great scene. Barbara gets hit, and so she gets taken out. Billy allows her to, to be taken away. There's multiple scenes here where, like, the sheriff and the doc, we didn't even even talk about the doctor, uh, but he's kind of been the one rational voice for the townspeople other than the sheriff. Like, they're the two good people in the town. Everyone else is pretty much awful. But they are trying to convince Billy to go to trial instead. Gene as well. Basically, what ends up happening is Gene kind of convinces Billy to give himself up. Um, there's a really, really good moment between the two of them here, pretty much just about their their relationship, about pacifism, about life. You know, I mean, you see inklings of their relationship through the entire, entire thing, but in this moment, you just kind of see the love, and she even, you know, tells him that she loves him. Yeah, they finally they, say it. They finally have that moment of like, hey, this this what we have together is very, very important to each of them. But uh, so Billy... Ends up giving himself up. He has conditions where he wants to keep the school going and keep the school protected. So, like, as you put it, he is the school's protector to the end. And so even if he's going out in a blaze of gunfire, he's going to make sure that the school is safe. But he gives himself up. And as as they take him away, the kids stand and protest. You know, kind of like the uh, Black Power kind of uh, fist in the air Just kind of raised, thing, yeah. and this and the movie ends with uh, One Tin Soldier coming up again. Uh, well, protest song. I always that's the other scene I always remember is the very last shot of the car driving down the road, the cop car with Billy Jack in it, and the lined on both sides with with the students with their hands raised, their fists raised, and protest as it's going down. Yeah. That's another kind of an iconic scene from the movie, if okay. you could say that. 
final thoughts. What about, uh, let's start with you, Dad. What are your final thoughts on, just overall thoughts on the Billy Jack movie? In spite of the fact that it was a, a super, super low-budget movie and, you know, the, the special effects and even some of the acting, for that matter, wasn't necessarily the best, I think it was a very powerful movie in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. It showed that time, early 70s, late 60s, the attitude that people had. And the whole school, if you remember, the the foundation of that school was anybody could come into that school and do anything they wanted to do as long as it didn't hurt anyone. If they wanted to come and sing a bad song and sing for five hours, everybody would listen and, and they, support them. And they that. showed that a couple yeah. times. If, if they wanted to tell a joke, if they anything they wanted to do as long as it didn't hurt hurt somebody the attitude of people you know is we, we've been so oppressed by our parents their grandparents right. and that's what kind of the whole hippie that you guys call them okay. is that i'm gonna do what i want to do whether you like it or not that's that whole thing and that this movie just kind of exemplified that for that time it just did it in a very low budget way and it still worked to me billy jack kind of represents what everyone wants to be everyone wants to be a badass when they need to be everyone wants to be good when they can be he's just sort of like he represented the ideal the ideal of what we wish everyone wishes they could be they could be badass they can be pacifist they can be smart and it's, it's one of those you know badass characters that can almost do no wrong it's not a great movie it's slow at times but i think the parts that are amazing are very amazing i love the character it's, it's a character that I both wish and don't wish I could see again. Yeah. I can't see anyone else playing Billy Jack other than Tom Laughlin. Any picture I ever see of Tom Laughlin, it's Billy Jack. Mm-hmm. That's who I see. I don't know that I could ever see someone else trying to, especially nowadays, because I just, yeah, it'd be I, tough. Well, I, like, I want to take it even further in that I don't even know if I want to see Billy Jack in another movie, the character, period. Right. Like, I know he has four other movies, Right. I don't know if I ever want to see any of his other movies. You'd like them. I would? Okay. Cause like, good. You should see them. Okay. Well, <laughs> never mind that. <laughs> Particularly, I, I, the one that I guess that I would want to see more than any of them is probably Born Losers. Because if it's just... I want to see just some of, some of the more badassness. If that it's was just my him. least favorite. That was your least favorite? <laughs> oh, damn. It sounds like it's just like him versus fighting a motorcycle gang and that's awesome. And you don't and you don't have some of the depth. Like, I just want some of the... I want like a Rocky Four. Like, this, it sounds like it's the Rocky Four of the Billy Jack movies where it's just... <laughs> You know, him and this Russian biker gang. Or, they're not Russian. Well, the Born Losers doesn't have the whole freedom school, the whole yeah, Indian yeah. thing. It's a, whole, it's a completely different kind of movie. It just, yeah. the character of Billy Jack is there. Okay. Yeah. But he's he's different. Well, it's, have, not, it's not that it's no good. It's my least favorite of that series. Okay. Doesn't mean I didn't enjoy watching yeah. it. Yeah. See, I was going to say, it kind of seems like it's the Road Warrior of yeah, the series. Yes. <laughs> it's, the, it's the introduction to the character where the later ones are really where you start to enjoy yeah. the character and what he does. Yeah, well, then there's a lot more depth that I imagine comes in. Like, I, I need some fluff. Like, I think from... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, this this movie has enough depth for me that I think I just need... I just want a little fluff and that's probably what I would want. My thoughts are, it's a bad movie. The movie's, like, super bad budget. It's, it's bad editing. It's bad everything. The story and the message is really... For me, what makes it a good movie? I mean, obviously, as I agree that Billy Jack is is a cool ass character. I like him a lot as a character, mm-hmm. and he's got some depth to him. You know, I, I, I like that about him. I like how he is. You know, he's got a rage, but he's 
fighting that and he wants to be a better person. So I agree with everything you said. The movie itself is is hard to watch for me just as a professional, just how, how low budget it can be. But the message of be all inclusive, pacifism to an extent of, you know, non-prejudice of trying to make the world a better place. I really, really respect this movie for it. And I do like this movie for it. All of the negatives that it's got from its lack of quality are surpassed by it's good characters, it's good message, all of that. It supersedes everything else. Uh, and this, and having done, doing a little bit of research, this movie kind of baffled critics. It was not critically received well at all. In fact, I saw an interview with one critic who said that 15 minutes into the movie, he hated it. But it was one of the highest grossing movies of 1973. And it spoke to the youth more than it spoke to anyone else. And mm-hmm. that's what did it. And I think, like what you said, were word of mouth when it came back in 73, people who had seen it before said, you need to go see this movie. Because the message, I completely agree. The message and the story overall completely negate any deficiencies in Mm. some of the actual technical movie making that was here. And it was much more important than than whether or not, you know, a scene was edited well. Yeah, exactly. Or shot well or acted well even. Yeah. To me, the character of Billy Jack was brought back in another and think about this one. The character maybe wasn't quite as good, but it was still a very good character. Mm -hmm. But the the half breed, Mm -hmm. the very calm person that could just kick ass. Think of Walker, Texas Ranger. Chuck Norris. Hey, he's, he that, exactly to me, the- is a reincarnation <laughs> of Billy Jack for TV. There's a lot of similarities. There's yeah. a lot of differences, too. But to me, I've always believed, and, and I could be totally wrong, I've never heard this. I think Chuck Norris was a huge fan of Tom, Tom Laughlin in that movie, or at least that character. And that helped him develop Walker. That, that was almost exactly that, because we already talked about Walker, Texas Ranger, and being, yeah, the half-breed, the very pacifist, but also, I think he was also a Green Beret kind of guy in the background. And also the very shitty quality of Walker, Texas Ranger. I, well, I did you not. and I disagreed on that <laughs> yes, one. Yes, we did. Uh, but that's actually, that's a, that is a perfect one-to-one comparison between Apparently Billy Jack also and Walker. This was, Billy Jack was one of Elvis Presley's favorite movies. I, I can see that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Peanut butter banana sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> Judo chop. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and now we're on to Bonanza from 1959 to 1973. This is an old ass show. This is obviously not a show that John and I watched that much when you were kids, but we asked our father, Ed, who is here with us, to talk about a show that he held in a nostalgic light. Uh, so that way we could kind of get, you know, something that's not from the 1980s, 19, early 1990s, something different for the show this time. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned Bonanza, which very famous show. It ran for 14 seasons. It had 431 episodes, which is ridiculous. Yeah, I think it's in the top 10 or maybe even like the top five of all time for how many episodes it's got for most amount of shows for like a primetime show? Probably. There was only one other Western that ran longer, and that was Gunsmoke. And it only ran for one season longer, so it went 15 seasons. Yeah, but it ran for, I think it was like 460-something episodes, something like that. I can't remember. Now Simpsons has overtaken Gunsmoke for the most episodes of all time, but Gunsmoke for the longest time was the most. But Bonanza at 431 is not that far behind. Oh, that's very... Yeah. Very impressive. Yeah. So I guess this in this era, people loved westerns. Like old TV was all about western shows. There was a lot. Uh, Gunsmoke, uh, The Rifleman. Yeah. 
Which actually, I'd, I'd never even heard of the Rifleman, except for when I think I was over at Dad's place about a year ago, and you just kind of had the Rifleman on, it was just on TV, and I was like, damn, this show's pretty good. <laughs> like, it was just like a, a guy who's kick-ass with a rifle and his son, just kind of like riding around being awesome. Well, that was the big thing back then. We're the Westerns were the biggest shows. Westerns right. and variety shows were kind of the two. And you have to remember back when this came on, first of all, whether it was you, Adam, or John, whichever, asked me what... A, a TV show that I grew up with. When I was six years old when Bonanza started, and it ran until I graduated from high school. Mm-hmm. So that is definitely a show I grew up with. Right. Uh, I, you know, I don't really have a memory of not seeing Bonanza. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's great. The show was set in the 1860s, uh, and it centers around the Cartwright family. Cartwright! <laughs> Cartwright! Come on, Seinfeld. Did you, did, you, did you watch that episode yet? Nope. Okay. Anyway, yeah, it's pretty much centered around them. It's This show has one of the greatest, most recognizable all-time TV theme songs. Yeah. very simple but it's been used in so many things and it's just synonymous with western kind of interestingly enough the last four seasons of the show they changed the theme i didn't bother to look it up because to me that sort of instrumental intro is that's synonymous with Bonanza. Yeah. Which, oddly enough, it actually had lyrics, and in the pilot, the four main actors actually sing the title. Huh. They changed it to an instrumental for the actual primetime show. And another thing that was also interesting was that there was no top billing. All mm. four of the lead actors, the father and the three sons, received equal billing, and actually every week they would shuffle whose name would appear first. So, and your your four main Cartwrights, the, the father and the f- three sons, uh, were Ben, played by Lorne Green, Little Joe, who's played by Michael Landon, who we would be more yeah. associated with Little House on the Prairie, yeah, and definitely. even Highway to Heaven, mm-hmm. if you watch that at all. Yeah, I know it, but yeah, uh, Little House on the Prairie is one, another one that Dad actually, I feel, had on quite a bit. Well, that's, it's another one of those, they still show it. It's still yeah. on. It's like on PAX TV yeah. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Well, even on some network shows, every so often you, you, you'll mm-hmm. see it. Uh, Haas Cartwright was played by Dan Blocker, and Adam Cartwright was played by Pernell Roberts, but he only lasted, I think, the first four seasons. Oh, that's it? Okay. Yeah. He didn't go through the whole run of the show. He okay. just did, or maybe half of the I show. think it was more than that. It was more than that. Yeah. But it says about 200 episodes, so he a little less than half of the show. Yeah. But he stopped after that. So... From what I read, because I don't really know much about the show, Ben Cartwright, who's the father, Lauren Green, has been widowed three times. Each of his three sons are from three different wives, yes. from what I've read. Which is very seems very progressive for a TV show from the late 50s. Eh. I mean, an old white man just grabs another wife when one dies? That doesn't oh. seem that progressive. Okay. <laughs> Not really, because it was it was very much 50s in the fact that his wife's died. They didn't get divorced. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fair it's enough. okay if they died that you got married again. Yeah. Okay. You know, the divorce was much more of a taboo thing back then. It made you a bad person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't make you a dead, bad person, Dad. We still love it. This you. would be a world of bad people right now. <laughs> Yeah. But, but also the fact that they had different mothers. I've always thought, and, and that's nothing that was ever really dwelled on on the show. Right. 
was rarely mentioned, but if you were, if you kind of grew up with the show, you knew that they were different mothers. Right. It kind of explained the fact that, you know, you had, you know, Pernell Roberts and Dan Blocker and Michael Landon, and their characters were so freaking different. Right. Yeah. But <laughs> that you could kind of rationalize it. Right. They had, you know, they all had the same father. And you could see a little bit of that in them because it was a very rich family, very powerful family and, mm-hmm. and very smart intelligent family and all of them showed so much but they all kind of had the, the boys had their own character you know Prell roberts adam he was the closest thing to ben cartwright mm-hmm. he's very very serious very very well educated very level-headed and then hoss who was kind of the the cartoon character yeah he's right. big he's a big <laughs> kick-ass nobody messed with with hoss but he was the gentle giant not dumb but not the smartest <laughs> knife yeah. in the drawer not the sharpest knife in the drawer you know and then little joe who was the troublemaker who was right. a little not quite as mature still a smart dad a smart kid but a kid he was the kid of the bunch yeah it was that was that right it was even a, though they were all yeah. even in the show well into their 30s probably no, yeah kids. <laughs> yeah i knew but the the age was it was adam and then hoss and then little joe right isn't that the, the age yeah adam the was the oldest and hoss yeah. and little joe okay yeah the show Watching it now, they talk very, very old TV. Like, it's, it's, I don't know how to explain it other than the way that they spoke on the show is not at all how I would imagine people spoke in the 1860s by any means. It's just they over explain everything. It's a TV show, yeah, I know. It was, and a network TV show yeah. at that. Of course, back then there were only networks. One of the episodes I watched, they were hunting a mountain lion at one point. It was so obviously stock footage to me where you can see, I don't know if anybody else noticed it. And, and, People in regular TV wouldn't, but you see the, uh, I think it was Adam uh, who had, had like a gun and he was like pointing at a mountain lion and then they cut to the mountain lion and the film stock was so obviously different from the other, from what they were filming and the lighting was totally different. And you could even tell that they, the stock footage was on two different mountain lions because they cut back to it and the mountain lion's color looks completely different from one shot to another shot. And you could tell, the other thing you could tell because it was, that was obviously outdoor footage yes. of the mountain lion, and they were obviously set it, uh, shooting on a set. Yeah. So the lighting was was very different. But I mean, it's... I mean, you, you know, get that. You this, get that with this the old is, shows. This is, first of all, Bonanza, it wasn't the first, but it was one of the first TV shows to be shot entirely in color mm-hmm. from the beginning. And actually, the very first season, it almost was canceled. Part of it had to do with the fact that they put it on Saturday night, the very first season, and it got completely low ratings. But the fact that it was it was one of the first shows that was shot entirely in color and was helping to sell RCA color TVs. Uh. So they kept it on and they moved it to Sunday night. And when, when they moved to Sunday night, that was it. It took off. And it was it was a number one show for many, many years after that. And that's when it, you know, it finally it found its slot. The Sunday Night Family Show that I'm sure Grandpa probably put it on after dinner or something like that. Absolutely. Yeah, well, that was a big deal. And and you talk about the things that, that are so unrealistic and the, the technology part of it. You have to understand back then, just first of all, how new TV was. Right. Yeah. We didn't give a shit. <laughs> if it well, didn't look realistic, it right. was moving picture on the TV. <laughs> and it made noise. And the mouth... You could hear it look like they were actually talking. It was to us, it was like the most high-tech shit there was. Right. <laughs> and you'd, we'd get together, and there were literally four four channels. And in Des Moines, Iowa, it was 2, 5, 11, and 8. Those were your four channels. Yep. Channel 8 being PBS. Nobody ever watched PBS. <laughs> <laughs> channel 2, Channel 5, and Channel 11. And that's all the only choices you had. 
there's so few choices to watch. And when it came to Bonanza, it was one of them, and even Little House, which came much later. These were your buddies. These were yeah. your your other family. You, you'd get around and you'd watch them, and it's like you didn't care about all this stuff that maybe wasn't technically perfect. It didn't matter to you. It was perfect. You get into to the characters and the storyline. The visual stimulation of watching something happening on a screen was still pretty damn new. And to you guys, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. What else? What else could there be? Right. Of course. I try to remember staring at a radio, <laughs> and wow, yeah. I can hear this voice. I can hear music on a radio. I know. Now you can actually see the voice. So you have to kind of take yourself, if you, which you can't do. That's it's the thing. It's tough. There's no way you can do it. <laughs> right. You can't take yourself back to, to that time because you've never experienced. That. Yeah. Well, and even I've I've had a couple instances, even recently with my younger students, where I would have to tell them, you know, a time before the internet. My students now have a hard time understanding, you know, well, yeah, you just you download something, there it is, it's on your phone, it's, it's just the way it is. And, and it's like, you guys, you know, even that, it's like, you don't understand. Phone used to just be a phone. That yeah. was it. <laughs> you couldn't use it for anything else. You know, you couldn't download music whenever you wanted. You had to go to a store and find it. And if it was hard to find, then you really had to want to find it to, to do it. You know, this was... So we're talking about like 60 years ago, 70 years ago, sort of the the real takeoff of TV. 70 years is, in the grand scheme of things, 70 years is nothing. No. That's a blink of the eye. Yeah. Where, how far we've gone in technology in, a, in just 100 years is amazing. We've made leaps farther in 100 years than we probably did 1,000 years before that. Uh, that might be an overgeneralization. Probably but it's, not. It's mm-hmm. pretty close to the truth. Mm-hmm. For me, actually, having watched, I watched a couple of different episodes of the show. I actually really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it, and I've come to appreciate some of the some older shows on TV. And you you have to. It's not one you can zone out while you watch. You have to listen to what they have to say. Yeah, you have to listen because that a lot of the story is through the through the exposition. Because they can't they couldn't show you too many different things. They were limited by the technology, so they did it through the story. And I actually really enjoyed it. Well, Ben, one of the reasons I think it was it was popular is, is Ben Cartwright, the father, was kind of a domineering father. But the boys, they, they were a very close family. Three boys, obviously old enough, they ought to be able, out raising their own family. <laughs> right. They're still living with Dad. <laughs> <laughs> and Hop Singh's taking care of them. He's another, was another pretty major character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you watch it regularly. Mm-hmm. Right. It wasn't on every, every episode. Right. But the boys all had their own personality. And they all respected Dad, Pa, and Pa knew everything. But Pa had a little, would loosen the reins with the boys. He had control, believe me. Pa had control. (laughs) But Pa would loosen the reins. Let the boys make mistakes. Let them do their own thing. And as 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 the show progressed, it was more the boys started as the show went on, kind of take over a little bit. It wasn't Pa wasn't the only one when it first started. Pa was the only one that really knew anything. Right. <laughs> the rest of them were just being boys. Then it, it you know they they became they kind of grew up on the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This show bored the hell out of me. Of course <laughs> it did. Of course it did. <laughs> I didn't care for it. I thought it moved really really slowly. Uh, the two episodes that I watched, uh, it was a bit of a snooze fest. The sound design was so minimal that I, I was just like, eh, eh, so, you should have something in the background. You're outside and I hear no outside noise. It's just, it's killing me. But I understand that this is a show that, you know, you learned from and, and TV got better after that and all that stuff. But this one, I'm not going to ever watch this show again. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> uh, but like, as I mentioned already, like, I'm not, I don't hate old shows because... While I was watching this one, I was hoping and expecting it to be a fun, enjoyable show or something. It doesn't have to be fun and enjoyable, but something that I would have grabbed something onto, like 
I really, really did enjoy The Rifleman. That's a show that I would much rather watch now. I would rather go see The Rifleman and, and sit and I could watch and binge that show where Bonanza, I'm, fuck it, I'm just gonna go play on my phone the entire time. I don't, I don't give a shit. Bonanza, maybe I just watched bad episodes. Yeah, you, prob you probably did. Because some of them were slower. Because some were actually very comedic. Okay. There was some. There was actually quite a bit of comedy. And I don't need it to be funny. I like a drama too. But like this show, just it was just boring. And it could have been just the ones that I saw. But like I do like older shows. I could I could see myself watching The Rifleman or or something like Mash was awesome. And it's not not nearly all that old. But like that is a fun show that like it's holds up with the test of time. Where to me Bonanza did not. That's just that's my opinion. Well, f from the times that you grew up in, I I understand it a hundred percent. You you wouldn't appreciate that. And you'll never understand why I could appreciate that. And everybody that lived back in the 50s and 60s could appreciate that because it was high-tech at the time. It was action-packed at yeah. the time. You know, it's, it's compared to what you grew up with, it's dull <coughs> and slow. It wasn't compared to what, what yeah. had followed it at yeah. the time. Because right. any Western was an action. I mean, that, those were your action movies. Right. And yeah. I think that's part of the reason they were so popular it wasn't non-stop action that, you, that you're used to. And if it isn't action 100% of the time, it's boring. These dealt with a lot of other things uh, besides the action part of it. And, and so, you know, I, I wouldn't expect you to ever, and I would understand why you wouldn't care for it. At the time, it was pretty big stuff. All right, Dad. Thank you very much for joining us for this all-Western episode. This episode of the Blast from Our Past podcast is brought to you by Marlboro. The moon was bold and the night was cold, but the day's already hot. With the smell of breakfast steaks and coffee brewing in an iron pot. Days don't stop like the days out here anywhere else in the land. Where a cowboy's got a range to ride and a pony that wears his brand. Out here they smoke for flavor. Flavor big and bold. Out here the only smoke they smoke is Marlboro. Red or gold. Come to where the flavor is. Come to Marlboro country. Right, and now we are going to do a casting, a very special casting, something different, something that we haven't really done before, which is we are not recasting a movie at all, or even a book. We're just casting some real-life stories. We have decided to kind of keep on with, like, the western-y kind of theme of Billy Jack and Bonanza, and we want to cast some real-life western badasses. These are some people who did some incredible badass things back in the Old West, and their stories though are awesome, haven't been told as much as someone like a Billy the Kid or Wyatt Earp or et cetera, that, that the Jesse James, that kind of stuff. Yeah, we talked about it and, and decided, well, let's not just do the same old mm -hmm. guys. Let's find some new people. Let's find some women. Mm -hmm. We didn't want to cast six or seven other white guys yeah. to, to do it. So we wanted to try and get some, there's some other unique stories out there. Right, because the Old West is, was much more than just that. So we've got a pretty big cast. I think we've got eight people total. And we're going to tell just very briefly the stories of each before we cast them. But we are going to be casting Buckshot Roberts, The Apache Kid, Bass Reeves, Bell Star, 
Jim Killer Miller, Pearl Hart, and the Bloody Espinozas, which are two brothers. That's what we're going to cast. So we'll just go down the line of that. Okay. We will start with Buckshot Roberts, who is famous for kind of getting into a shootout with Billy the Kid and some of the regulators. From the Lincoln County War. And he was actually portrayed in the movie Young Guns, which I think we'll probably get to eventually. But yeah. he's the character who... Shoots uh, Charlie Sheen. Who kills Charlie Sheen. <laughs> On the crappers <laughs> While he's sitting in an outhouse. Yeah. Uh, but the story, the real-life story of Buckshot Roberts is pretty cool. Yeah, he pretty much beat the shit out of Billy the Kid with, a, with an empty rifle. And he killed another one of the regulators and wounded a couple others before they killed him. But yeah, Buckshot was pretty good badass. He was around 46. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so a lot of the Wikipedia articles that I looked up and some of the history stuff, they don't know. Like the historical archives don't have, you know, the exact right. exact dates on everything from when people were born and all that stuff. But yeah, so he was around 46 when he died, at least. And we know he died in that badass shootout. And you know that shootout's going to be in a movie. And so so part, I guess one of the part of the things that we're doing here is, yeah, we wanted to cast these people as if they were all getting their own movie. This is not like a to me. I wasn't doing like a Young Guns Right. cast here I was doing like a alright if Buckshot Roberts got his own movie who would be rest, best for Buckshot where Roberts you, where you see everything leading up to yeah that scene. Yeah. I wanted somebody who could be really really tough and, and he could portray that I went with Guy Pierce. He's a little bit older. He's almost, he's 50 now. Mm-hmm. And so he's a little bit older. He could play 46 or younger than that if you need to, <laughs> yeah, of course. Sure. But he has been in Lawless. Guy Pierce is a badass. He's a great actor. Want to see him in more stuff. So that's who, that's who I went with. I just throwing that out there. Okay. I, I also wanted to go with someone who was uh, badass in their own right. Kind of the interesting thing about this, the mo- most of these people, is that there's the majority of them are not going to have any sort of preconceived design or look. Because if they even if they have been in movies, they're usually smaller characters mm-hmm. or lesser known movies, and so they won't have as big of a you know it has to look this way. Yeah. That is cool. We we have a couple pictures like of some of these people, but not all of them. Right. So really our casting can go wild with, so I, I, I'd i be shocked if we have anybody who's exactly the same because we can go almost any route if we, that yeah. we wanted. So I went with someone who also can play badasses and actually is having a big year right now. I went with Josh Brolin. Oh, <laughs> okay. Cable Thanos himself. Yep. Josh Brolin's a good call. I yeah. mean, he. I never saw Jonah Hex. It didn't look like a movie I wanted to see. But he. other than that, though, I mean, he was no country for old men. He's been he's done like Western ish style. Yeah, I think. I mean, that's a good call. It's 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 going to be hard for me to really argue these. <laughs> some of these just yeah. because it's just like, well, I don't know exactly how he looked like it, but uh, OK, fine. Fuck it. <laughs> so cool. Uh, let's move on to the Apache kid. OK, the Apache kid is and I'm going to butcher his name. It's Haskay Bay Nay. Natale, I can't, fuck it, I knew I would fuck that up, but it translates to the man destined to come to a mysterious end. Like, that was his Native American name. That, that doesn't have movie written all over it. I don't know what does. Holy fuck, yeah. <laughs> he was better known as the Apache Kid, and he was known as being one of the fiercest Apaches, you know, not named Geronimo. <laughs> right. Uh, he's a notorious outlaw. He was young. I think he, I mean, he died he, at... He was a soldier, though, in the yeah, U.S. Army, wasn't yes, he? Yes, he was. A, so he was, I guess, not hired, but he was pulled into the Army to be like a tracker mm-hmm. and kind of, a, you know, an Apache tracker and that kind of thing. But he then eventually became an outlaw. He was an Apache scout. You know, he, he enlisted and he fought off numerous raiding bands of other people and, and eventually became a renegade. Marvel Comics does have a 
Apache kid in Marvel Comics that I think they named after him, but it's not not based on him. It's not really based on him at all. No. Uh, but he was about 34 when he died. But like, if he's the Apache kid in this story, it's, it's not, I don't think his story would be one of like all about his death. It would be about like him as a scout and him kind right. of becoming the outlaw. And so I went with a younger kid. Okay. I went with, uh, and I definitely wanted to stick with someone who's native. So a Native American actor. Mm-hmm. Honestly, this kid was really annoying to me in the movie <laughs> that I saw him in, which is The Revenant. He played Leonardo DiCaprio's son, but his name is Forrest Goodluck. Okay. And uh, he's he's fairly young, but I think if he could be in The Revenant, even though he annoyed the hell out of me in that movie, I think he's probably be pretty good enough. And he could obviously he's been around some badass actors with mm-hmm. Leo and Tom Hardy that I, hopefully he could pick it up. He could hopefully play a badass Apache kid. Okay. I also went with someone who was in The Revenant. Oh. Uh, he wasn't really credited with... Uh with a character, I think he just played mm-hmm. kind of one of the uh, background character. But he recently was in a movie called Wind River. I liked what I saw when mm-hmm. I was looking him up. Um, he's a little bit older. He's in his early 30s right now. But he looks young enough that he yep. could play mm-hmm. play the, the part at, at different stages. A guy named Takala Black Elk. Young looking guy. Kind of skinny. He's got the right look. From what I saw, he's got the acting chops. I think he would do it well. But honestly, I think your person, I think it would be two different movies almost. If, yeah. If it's depending on how old your guy was when, when they make this. But I think either one of them would probably do the character right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he looks like he could, he's been in some big enough movies. He's been in some stuff. So sure. I don't really rem- remember his work from The Revenant, but uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. To our next Western badass, and this is a guy named Bass Reeves. He was a former slave in Texas, and then he escaped to Oklahoma into Indian Territory, and he was then appointed a U.S. Deputy Marshal for his excellent tracking skills, and he was well-respected. He has an arrest record of 3,000 people, and he personally killed 14 outlaws himself. Yeah. This guy was awesome. And on top of that, from the pictures I'm seeing, had a kick-ass Wilford Brimley mustache on top of that, <laughs> which makes me really happy. Yeah. And there were actually rumors that the character of the Lone Ranger was based on his exploits. Oh, very cool. In my casting, I wanted someone who could be just as badass as this guy was in mm-hmm. real life. The actor I went with is Michael Kenneth Williams, who is Omar from The Wire. He is also Chalky White on Boardwalk Empire, but Omar in The Wire is really kind of like his acting that is making me feel like he could be badass enough to be Bass Reeves. Omar was someone who would like be like the Robin Hood in Baltimore in that show. He would steal from the drug dealers and give it to the poor, and he was super intimidating, and he was super cool, and I love the character of Omar, and I'm glad to see how much Michael Kenneth Williams has been doing acting-wise. He's doing fantastic, and I think he could pull off the mustache, uh, <laughs> but he is a complete and utter badass actor. And he plays those type of characters really well. So that's who I went with. Okay. I'd totally buy that. I went with someone who, um, not necessarily known for that kind of badass character, but definitely a really good actor. Uh, We actually just watched him the other day in Black Panther, and he just won a Golden Globe for This Is Us. And I went with Sterling K. Brown. Oh, okay. He is good. He's very good. All right. We're moving pretty quick because, yeah, it is hard for me to love or hate a lot of your calls, so 
Yeah, there's not, much, not too much to debate on these. Yeah, but I still I still really like that, you know, getting some of these stories told, which is nice. So our next badass is Belle Star, and she is actually, her nickname is the Bandit Queen. She was born Mira Maybell Shirley Reed Star, but she became a notorious outlaw. She lived a spoiled rich girl life, having been brought up in a well-to-do family, but However, it changed uh, when the the Kansas-Missouri War broke out. Pretty much her marriage to an outlaw kind of led her down a bandit life. The nickname, the Bandit Queen, makes me... I, that's that's perfect for Hollywood. Yeah. That's great. So I wanted someone who could play tough, someone who could who could be hard. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not... She's not a huge actress. I went with someone named Cassidy Freeman, and she is in the show Longmire right now. Okay. Yeah, she plays... Uh, Katie Longmire, and that's, you know, a very Western-ish kind of show, kind of like modern modern West. Right. She's a good actress. That's a great show, and I would like to see her kind of step into some bigger, more badass role like that. And so, yeah, Cassidy Freeman. All right. No, I totally buy that. She's got the look. I can see, like, some of the Western stuff she does. I totally buy that. Mm-hmm. I went with an actress who I actually haven't seen in a while. I kind of first really kind of came to know her from the movie Sucker Punch. Okay. She plays one of the main girls in Sucker Punch, but she's a complete badass in that movie. And I went with Abby Cornish. Yeah, I actually have Abby Cornish's name written down right next to Cassidy Freeman. I was almost, she was the first name that I put down. I was okay. like, I was thinking about that. Yeah. So that's good. I We were on the same page with that one. Okay. That's cool. Cool. like that. Our next person is a guy named James Miller, also known as... Killer Miller, also nicknamed Deacon Jim or Jim Miller. This guy's story, I think, is really cool. He was a very devout religious man, and he didn't smoke, he didn't drink, but he was also a paid assassin. <laughs> who was, he was like a very religious guy who didn't do anything other immoral other than killing people for money. <laughs> and he would ambush victims at night wearing like a black coat, so he couldn't be easily detected. Right. And he was credited for killing 12 people during gunfights. He eventually died by being lynched from angry mobs because he killed a former deputy U.S. Marshal. And I, I read uh, a little bit up on him. And, and when he was lynched, it was him and three other bandits who had committed this crime. And he was the only one who didn't beg for his life. Yeah. <laughs> he was the only one who just kind of took it in stride. The only thing he asked was that he be hung in his hat. Yeah, oh, that's a black hat. <laughs> so this guy is cold as fucking ice. Like, <laughs> so you need to pick someone who could play that religious and like you are a good quote unquote moral person for mm-hmm. being a nice religious person. But at the same side, you've got a coldness. You've got a killer underneath you. <sighs> kind of, I kind of similar enough to like how John Lithgow played it when he was in the Dexter show, as he was that serial killer. Okay. Because he looks like he was like a John Lithgow looks like grandpa next door to an extent very sweet looking guy but he had a death to him i went with an actor who i think had a similar enough look to some of the pictures i saw of james miller he's in justified right now which is another cool Mm -hmm. kind of westerny show and i guess that was kind of what i was looking at some of those shows he was also in the show vice principal so he's done some comedic stuff but he's got a look and he's from what i've seen of him in justified he could totally do what i need as a cold calculated guy but also he looks like he could be a non-threatening religious person and then flip the switch he'll fucking kill you right. uh, i went with a, an actor named walton goggins okay uh, a little bit you know not not a huge name i, I tried not to get complete big a-listers here i right. tried to get some people mix it up i don't want to you know put 
Tom Hardy and everything. I don't I don't want to put whoever oh, yeah. else and everything else. But you've probably seen this oh, guy yeah, before. I totally recognize him. Yeah. I so, totally recognize him. That's that's my Jim Killer Miller. Okay. I also tried to go with someone who I didn't think was too big. Because I didn't want it to be too obvious. He's got to really look like he fits in. I, at first, I kind of tried to find someone who I thought looked like the guy. And then I decided to kind of go away from that. I didn't go too far away from it. But I wanted to find someone else who also kind of could play a badass. But uh, I don't know. I kind of like my pick for this. Uh, I picked someone who was just tapped to be the new Hellboy. And he famously mm. played Sheriff Jim Hopper in Stranger Things. I went with David Harbour. Yeah. He's a, a big, intimidating looking guy. Yeah. I mean, this is a completely different look from the one I from Walter Goggins that That's I went true. with. Um, but it's not to say it wouldn't work. Because right. you could see, I mean, hell, he'd be an intimidating religious guy. And you could see him being gentle on that side. Yeah. And then... He'd flip a switch. He could be badass and cold. I, I like that. That's a call I think would definitely work, but just on a slightly different level from, from the one I went with. Yeah, I agree. Our next real-life badass is Pearl Hart. Pearl Hart was a Canadian-born American outlaw, uh, and she was credited as having one of the last stagecoach robberies in the U.S., she apparently drifted into bad company after her abusive husband left to go fight in the Spanish-American War. So she was just like, a, she's got a pretty cool story to her, but she did one of the U.S.'s last recorded stagecoach robberies, which is, could in its own right, it would be a pretty badass story. Yeah. She was captured and imprisoned, but she charmed her way out, prison, <laughs> which is pretty cool. But she was then recaptured two years later. And served two years in a male prison, uh, and then and eventually was pardoned by the governor upon learning that she was pregnant. Uh, <laughs> so shocked, yeah, very very interesting, pretty pretty badass story. Yeah. So I went with I went with a bigger name this time. Okay. I went with an actress who could definitely play hardened. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went with Rooney Mara, who oh, has yeah. been in uh, you know the girl, the, girl, the girl with the dragon tattoo yeah. and a bunch of other stuff. Great actress. She could obviously be hardened. So mm-hmm. she is my pearl heart. I looked up, and I think Pearl Hart was kind of in her late 20s when mm-hmm. she did a lot of these robberies. I actually went a little bit younger okay. for this one, and just because I can see this girl playing this type of character, and I think she'd be pretty awesome doing it. Uh, I went with Negasonic Teenage Warhead herself. <laughs> I went with Brianna Hildebrand. Okay. I am curious. I mean... I am curious to see what she'll move on to other stuff after, because I mean, I've only seen her as Negasonic Teenage Warhead. Right. And I'll see her again in the next movie, which I'm excited. We're all excited for. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. That's cool. I, I just want to see, I want to see her in more stuff. So I think that's a good call. Yeah. We are going to finish our castings with the Bloody Espinozas. So the Bloody Espinozas are Felipe Espinoza and then his younger brother, Vivian Espinoza. Mm-hmm. And then eventually uh, Vivian died and Felipe Felipe got his younger nephew, his 14-year-old nephew, Jose, to jump in. But we're not going to do the nephew. We're just going to do the main two, which the main one is Felipe, who was, I think, was only around 20, in his 20s or mm-hmm. something. And then Vivian was his younger brother. Right. So people who can play in their late 20s slash early 20s. And so Felipe and Vivian Espinosa. And also Felipe is known as being one of the first serial killers in Colorado history, I think, is what it's kind of mm-hmm. like known for. Yeah, they were a gang that terrorized the Colorado Territory in 1860s and the early 1860s. Mm-hmm. They were two Mexican brothers that came out of the Mexican American War, at least or their their well, they when, had to escape the Mexican American well, War. When you when you look at their story, it's it's almost like and not to say that all the killing was justified, but mm-hmm. you you understand where they came from because their basically their entire family was killed by the US Navy. I yeah. think it was or U.S. Army or Navy during the Mexican-American War. So that that was the motivation behind it. It wasn't just a yeah. cold. 
Yeah, but I mean, I think Felipe is credited for killing like 32 people. Yeah, it was, <laughs> so. it was a bit excessive. It was a bit excessive. Yeah, so they went nuts killing <laughs> killing Americans. But their story is badass. And so I wanted someone who, yeah, who kind of could have that tragic backstory and then get real tough and just kind of go crazy. My Felipe, I'm going to do both. Yeah. My Felipe is Diego Luna. Okay. From Itumama Tambien, from uh, Rogue One. Fantastic actor. He yes. is a little bit older than Felipe probably would have been, but he can. He looks young. Mm-hmm. He's great. Love Diego Luna. I want to see him in more and more stuff. Yeah. So he's my lead. He's my Felipe. Uh-huh. And then my Vivian, who is a younger brother. I went with Diego Cantano, who is in Narcos. Great okay. show if you have seen Narcos. So two Diegos, but... Uh, yeah, so I went with one who's a good actor who could kind of be the side with Vivian, but like my main Felipe main guy is, yeah, Diego Luna. All right. So I also cast slightly older than probably needed to be, mm-hmm. um, and I'm going to kind of work backwards. Actually, for my Vivian, I also went with an actor from Itumama Tambien. I went with the other one, uh, Gael Garcia Bernal. Yeah. Just because I liked his work in that. I know he's a little bit older now, but... You can play the brothers. How? It doesn't oh yeah, they, they can. Totally they have, have to be like they can be nine months apart in Hollywood. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I mean, it, it, no big deal. And for Felipe, I went with the first person I thought of, and you thought we wouldn't have a common casting. Uh. I also went with <laughs> nice. Diego Luna because I decided yeah. if I was going to do one guy for me two mommy at the end, I might as well do them both because they gonna... work so well together. They're going to play brothers in this one. Yeah, no, they won't be kissing. Yeah, uh, they were Eskimo brothers in the <laughs> other one. Yeah, so. Yeah, uh, you brought back the YouTube. You're not going to bring back the, the the lady, though, so they're not going to have that steamy three-way scene again. No. No. But, no, but uh, Diego Luna's doing some fantastic stuff. I think he could definitely carry, yeah. Oh, carry yeah. the movie he, as Felipe. He is the lead better than Gael is, actually. Diego Luna's, like, fantastic. And so, yeah. that's a good call. I like it. Well, great casting. Thank you, John. Cool. Please join us next time for a listener-submitted episode. Special thanks to Damien Alexander, recommended the 1985 movie Daryl, and the 1987-1988 show Brave Star that we are going to review. And we're going to do a casting of Brave Star. If you have any questions or any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like for us to review as part of your childhood, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at at blast past cast that's at blast past cast on both facebook and twitter so until next time i'm john and i'm adam and thanks for joining us see you next time